Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Pennsburg podcast. I am your host Garrett Bahanna and alongside me fellow Pennsburg writer Robbie Noggle. Robbie, we 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 met last week. We still didn't have game action to talk about uh, when we met last Thursday while we were recording last week's episode, but uh, that has changed. The the NHL regular season is now underway. We finally have some real meaningful game action to talk about. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins currently, as we record tonight, have a record of 2-0-1 with their one blemish coming against the Montreal Canadiens in an overtime loss. And we will get to that momentarily. But as we typically do, now that the regular season is underway, we will uh, go through game by game and give a little bit of insight, give a little bit of a recap uh, to the contests that have been played over the last six or seven days. And then we'll move into some of the main segments for this week's show. So uh, let's start out with the first game of the season against the Arizona Coyotes. And Robbie, we kind of previewed it last week. We were talking about the Coyotes as a team that they weren't really going anywhere. Uh, they're, they're kind of tanking without obviously using the word tanking. And uh, the Penguins came out on opening night. They beat the Coyotes by a score of 6-2. to two. The Coyotes found their groove a little bit, but at the same time, the Penguins were no match for the Coyotes. The Penguins scoring the game's first three goals. Pittsburgh ending with 53 shots on net, 50, 59% face-off percentage. Pittsburgh goes two for six on the power play. Uh, Crosby and Malkin come out swinging. Uh, who gets on the scoreboard here? Sidney Crosby gets the first goal of the season, followed up by Jason Zucker and Jake Gensel. It's 3 nothing within the first five minutes of the first period. And uh, from that point forward, Pittsburgh basically controlled play. Nick Ritchie would get the Coyotes on the board at the 16-10 mark of the second period on the power play that would cut the lead to Pittsburgh 3, Arizona 1. Evgeny Malkin would score the first goal of his season on the power play to make it Pittsburgh 4, Arizona 1. Nick Ritchie would get his second of the game to make it 4-2, a Pittsburgh lead. And then Brian Rust and Kasperi Kapanen would uh, get their first goal, their first two goals of their seasons as well. Like I said, Pittsburgh went this one by a score of six to two. Uh, Robbie, 
I know we don't want to read too much into these early games, especially a game against the Arizona Coyotes, who really aren't going to be in play this season. But uh, you had to be impressed, and I'll hand it over to you. What were your first impressions of game number one of 82 uh, against the Arizona Coyotes on October 13th? This game kind of felt like, I think, what we were expecting out of this game. Uh, A team, a potential Stanley Cup contender in the Penguins, versus the Coyotes, who are going to be odds-on favorites to probably be the worst team in the NHL or one of the two or three worst teams in the NHL and be fighting for that top overall uh, pick in the draft. It's, yeah, it was just kind of what you expected. The Penguins got off to a fast start, and there were times where Arizona did kind of get their footing. Again, they're still professional hockey players. They're going to have um, some moments during a game where they're going to uh, shift the ice a little bit. But I think for the most part, um, you got what you expected out of this game. A good Penguins team just doing what it should do to a team uh, like the Coyotes. And again, it's a tough start for Arizona on the road opening night. You have a different kind of buzz in the building. Uh, and then on top of all that, you're throwing out Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, Chris Letang as well. And I, yeah, the result is basically what you expected out of that game. Uh, maybe some hiccups on the penalty kill for the Penguins that both of the Coyotes goals came off, uh, came on the power play. So that's something that maybe was one little blemish on the game. But overall, I think when you look at this game and how it played out, it was basically what you expected. Uh, the Penguins were the better team on paper and they were the better team on the ice. Uh, for the most part, a good showing uh, from Tristan Jari. Uh, he wasn't tested. Uh, anything crazy like that, but went out there and did his job, uh, made the saves he had to make. Um, so, I mean, he was perfect at even strength in that game. So that's 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 one thing that uh, you like to see. Um, uh, but, I mean, overall, Crosby, great game. Malkin, great game. Latang was great. Gentle was great. Pretty much up and, down the, up and down the lineup. Not really much to complain about this game. And um, it's, it was great to start, a win, start the season. Um, with a win like that, just it get, it kind of gives you um, some hope and uh, it kind of makes you feel good after all the pomp and circumstance before the game that the Penguins walk out of there uh, with a win. So uh, we go to, uh, we described it last week, uh, Robbie, as kind of two opposite ends of a spectrum. They started out with the Arizona Coyotes and uh, they'll, they, they followed it up with a game against the ever-loaded Tampa Bay Lightning and this was a, this was much more even in, in terms of some of the statistics compared to the Coyotes game. Pittsburgh had 45 shots on goal to Tampa Bay's 36. Pittsburgh won 62% of their faceoffs to Tampa Bay's 38. Uh, both teams score on the power play. Pittsburgh goes two for four with the man advantage. Uh, Tampa Bay goes one for four. But where it matters is the score sheet. Pittsburgh wins this one by another score of 6-2 to two over the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have kind of struggled out of the gate to get their season going. Steven Stamkos actually gets the scoring going for the Tampa Bay Lightning at the 4-10 mark of the first period. On the power play, Tampa Bay out to a 1-0 lead. However, Sidney Crosby gets his second goal of the campaign. Both of these teams go into the first intermission tied at 1. Danton Heinen, who the Penguins brought back for just $1 million, another great value signing, in my opinion, uh, when doing some off-season shopping, bringing Danton Heinen back. He gets his first goal of the season to give Pittsburgh a 2-1 lead over the Lightning. That would be the only offense created in the second period, 
We follow it up in the third period with a complete explosion of offense from both teams, but primarily it is the Penguins who are the beneficiary of their third period play. Jake Gensel gets his second goal of the season at the 228 mark of the third period, followed up by Big Jeff Carter getting on the score sheet for his first of the season. And before you know it, before you blink, Pittsburgh is out to a 4-1 lead over what has been a historically dominant Tampa Bay side. Brian Rust gets goal number two on his season on the power play. Braden Point would respond for the Lightning to make it a 5-2 Pittsburgh lead, and Ricard Raquel would get the final nail in the coffin, the sixth and final goal for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh wins this one by a score of 6-2. And uh, I mentioned it briefly, uh, Pittsburgh generated a, has generated a lot of offense over these first two games, as evidenced by the shots on goal. The power play seems to be clicking. Uh, they're obviously bringing a physical component out, hitting the lightning by 20 hits in this contest. I was not expecting, especially in the third period, I was not expecting the game to become as one-sided as it became, just based on historically how good the Lightning have been over the last five to seven years. And uh, the the Penguins basically blew them out of the building to take a 2-0 record to start the season. It was a surprising victory, but uh, a great victory nonetheless that I take. Robbie, I'll hand it over to you. What were your impressions after watching the Penguins handle the Lightning rather thoroughly on October 15th? Talk about two different tiers of opponents uh, to start your season with after taking down uh, Arizona and o- on the opening night and then having to come back and get uh, the team that's been to the Stanley Cup Finals three years in a row, but won two of the previous three uh, titles uh, in Tampa Bay. And really, yeah, a very even battle for the first 40 minutes. Um, Stamkos with a rocket again on a power play uh, to get the game started. But then the Penguins just took over this hockey game uh, from that point forward for the most part. Tristan Jari, excellent in this game. Uh, and the Penguins were just just coming in this game. And it looked like they were out. They were mad. They were out to uh, prove someone wrong in this hockey game uh, because they really took it to a very good, well, what on paper is a very, very good uh, Tampa Bay Lightning team. You had Crosby and Heinen. It was 2-1 after 2. And then two quick goals in the third by Gensel and Carter. Uh, and then Rust uh, and Raquel uh, add on uh, in the third period uh, to make it a lopsided affair again in favor of the Penguins. And I mean, 12 goals through two games. But really, this is, I mean, if you're looking at the opponents, this is a much more uh, commanding performance. Uh, Tampa Bay, maybe not off to the best start, but all that aside, a very, very, Good game for the Penguins, a good showing. Um, again, we'd like to see some of that Stamco scoring on the power play early again with the basically unstoppable shot. I uh, can't blame uh, Jari too much on that one. That, that happens. Uh, but, I mean, they bounce back, and everybody was getting involved in this game, and that's what uh, is good to see as well. Crystal Tang was good again. Uh, Malkin didn't, get, uh, didn't score, but he had an assist. Uh, and then everybody else just had one goal. You had Carter, Crosby, Gensel, Heinen, Rust, and Raquel all getting on the board. Um, and just, yeah, the takeaway from this game, uh, maybe a little more of a takeaway from this game because of the quality of opponent uh, in Tampa Bay. And, I mean, yeah, it's just a great way to start the season in Tampa Bay, uh, a good hockey team. 
Uh, not much has changed with them. Uh, now, I will say they did have Brian Elliott in goal. And, but, hey, you, the Penguins can only deal with what they're being – what the other team's putting out in the ice. And Victor Hedman was not super impressive in this game. Stamkos had a good showing, but he's going to do what he's going to do. Kucherov had two assists. But for the most part, they kept those weapons uh, at bay in this game. And uh, it was a, a very good – game for the Penguins a lot of it felt even a little cleaner it didn't feel like Tampa had any super dominant stretches in this hockey game that allowed them to just impose their will the Penguins kept them on the back foot kept the ice tilted in their direction and they capitalized on their opportunities and start the season two and out so Robbie we've been singing the praises of the Penguins largely for the last uh, five to seven minutes recapping these first couple of games and uh, the game on October 17th, the last game we recap here against the Montreal Canadiens, was really the first time in the season where you could really definitively say maybe the Penguins weren't on it this night. And the, the Canadians really aren't projected to be a, a dominant team. Uh, but make no mistake, they still have very capable-minded offensive threats. And and we'll, we'll get to that as this game goes on. P- Pittsburgh actually starts the game with a, a 2 to nothing lead. There were no goals in the first period of play. However, Evgeny Malkin gets goals 2 and 3, at the 3.52 mark and the 7.56 mark of the second period, respectively. And so you're, you're going into the second intermission up 2 nothing. Uh, the Penguins haven't played their best game. They really did. They came out uh, at the start of the Montreal contest. And uh, I wasn't really getting the same intense vibe as I was getting the first two games uh, against Tampa Bay and Arizona. But uh, as we say, and we're probably going to say a lot over the course of this 82-game season, even if it's game number three, uh, no team is going to be firing on all cylinders over 82 full games. It's just not going to happen. And this may have been one of those cases. So we go into the we go into the third period. Pittsburgh up two to nothing. However, Nick Suzuki gets Montreal back in the game. Their first goal of the game at the 110 mark of the third period. Cole Caulfield has a wicked shot. Uh, he he's going to be a threat to be reckoned with uh, in the NHL for a long time. He already gets his third goal of the season to tie the game up at the 1740 mark of the third period. So Pittsburgh was defending a one goal lead with uh, roughly three, five to three to five minutes left in regulation. All they had to do was play relatively some relatively stout defense, and uh, they they escaped Montreal with with two points. But that's not the case. Caulfield gets the equalizer, and Montreal earns at least an overtime point, and they would earn the second victory point here. Uh, Kirby Dock at the 309 mark of the overtime period on the power play. Montreal wins this one by a score of three to two. Uh, the Canadians outshoot Pittsburgh 39 to 28. The Penguins and or the Canadians almost equal the faceoff the faceoff win percentage. Pittsburgh 52% to Montreal's 48%. Pittsburgh goes 0 for 3 with the man advantage and the lone power play goal, as I mentioned, Kirby Dock in overtime. Uh, the Canadians go one for three with the man advantage as well. So, uh, Robbie, Pittsburgh did not have it in this Montreal game. You like to think that with their defensive unit that they could close out a game against Montreal, who on paper is not as much of a of an opposing threat as Pittsburgh may be, but that's not the case. Montreal gets the two points here, and uh, Pittsburgh has since been off as they prepare for their next game against the Los Angeles Kings. 
the we'll, uh, we'll shift the focus now of the conversation to one player in particular that uh, I wanted to talk about. That player being Jeff Petrie, who uh, was brought over in an offseason acquisition that sent Mike Matheson to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Jeff Petrie. And the reason I want to bring Petrie up is because of his skill set and what he's what he's been able to give the Penguins uh, through the first couple of games of the season. Specifically, his mobility and offensive instincts as a right-handed defenseman really looks to be playing well into Pittsburgh's strengths. Um, so looking at Petrie individually and the rest of this defensive, uh, the, the, the defense as a unit, how good can this can this six-man squad of defensemen be? Not not really purely from a defensive aspect of the game. Uh, obviously, that's what you're paying these players to do. But uh, all of these defensemen have uniquely different skill sets. Latang and and Petrie are, are really right-handed, smooth skating, offensively-minded defensemen. Then you have your your Dumoulins and your Pedersons and your Jan Rudas who aren't uh, as offensively inclined and or are more or less kind of your shutdown defenseman. How good do you think this this defensive group can be assuming everyone remains relatively healthy? I think the defense can be really good and Jeff Petrie yeah, he had, took three penalties in the Montreal game including one in overtime that ended up uh, costing them uh, the extra point in overtime. Uh, that Montreal scored on. But I think if you look at what he did in games one and two against Arizona and Tampa Bay, just the way he skates, and he is such a weapon on that second power play unit. And if something would happen to Chris Letang, there's not a big, a huge gap between if he'd have to step in on the top unit, like there may have been in the past, where John Marino, for as good as he was, he was never really the offensive guy they thought he could be. But Petrie, an offensive defenseman that can skate and play defense, and if Latang misses a game, he can slide up into that role on that top power play and really not have too much of a negative effect. He has a smooth shot, a slick shot through three games. His analytics look really good. And it's really just, he is, I mean, this is a guy that they've rumored to have been after after the trade, there was a lot of talk about how how the Penguins have been looking to try to acquire uh, Petrie really ever since he burnt them in that qualifying series back in the bubble in 2020. Um, they've been looking for uh, his services or a guy very much like him, and they gave up Mike Matheson to get him. But honestly, what we saw out of Petrie in the first three games, I don't how I don't think you can really take anything other than positive. Uh, positive thoughts away. And then Jan Ruda, uh, I thought he's been solid. You haven't really heard his name much, which for a guy, for what he does, that's the kind of guy you want. Uh, that's what you want out of him. Um, I really think the weakest link of this defense so far has been uh, Brian Dumoulin. He hasn't been, again, he's kind of looked like the Brian Dumoulin of last year rather than the Brian Dumoulin of uh, the years before. And that gives me some some worry. But I think as long as Chris Letang uh, is up there doing his thing, I think they'll be fine that way. Uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph uh, was not great against Arizona, bounced back and kind of makes you wonder about um, what the status of Ty Smith is. Are they going to try to keep uh, Joseph in the lineup and build up his his uh, 
trade value a little bit, or are they just going to roll with it and see? I don't know. Marcus Pedersen, I think, looks really, really good alongside Petrie. So I think they the new and improved defense has definitely been uh, improved. Again, small sample size. They're going to have their ups and downs, but I really like what you've seen out of them, especially with Petrie. Now gives them a second really good weapon on that uh, on that blue line behind Chris Letang. Not won't put up. Uh, 60 some points like Crystal Tang, but he'll get his opportunities. He skates well. He's smart with the puck, uh, and he's a big body as well. He's not afraid to throw that body around uh, and keep his neck clear as well. So I really like uh, what we've seen out of this new and improved Penguins defense uh, so far uh, through three games, even with the loss to uh, Montreal on the docket. So just to uh, put a bow on this segment, and uh, and uh, before we move on to the last thing I want to talk about, just to give you some analytics at five on five play. The Penguins have a a save a five on five save percentage of nine seventy three, whereas the league average right now is just nine eighteen. Uh, the Corsi four percentage is at fifty two point nine, which anything above fifty percent means you're uh, more or less controlling play. You have possession of the puck over half the time. You're on the ice. Uh, expected goals for sits at eight point nine percent, while expected goals against sits at 5.8%. Uh, a lot of these statistics, uh, whether it be of the advanced variety or your traditional goals and assists and save percentage and those things, a lot of these statistics are painting a very rosy picture of the Penguins early on. I imagine if they continue with this process, don't deviate away from what's working. And if they stay relatively healthy, which for the Penguins we know uh, that can be a challenge over the course of an entire season. But uh, for, for the most part, they're getting the results in, in the analytics department. Uh, they're getting the results on the score sheet. Uh, and, and again, I, I say it all the time on this podcast, especially early in the season, it's important to to not draw too many conclusions from small sample sizes. The Penguins have only played three out of 82 games. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll reevaluate where the team is maybe – by game 10 or game 15 uh, to get a, a firmer grasp of how good this team may actually be over the course of the season as we head into the January, February, March. Uh, but right now, the early results are encouraging. Early individual results are encouraging as well. Jason Zucker looks healthy. He could, I, I could potentially see him putting up 20 to 25 goals if he remains healthy in, in that top six. Uh, Crosby and Malkin, uh, we, we mentioned at the start of the show, continuing to produce at an elite level uh, given their advanced ages at uh, Malkin 36 and Crosby at age 35. So even with this older squad of players in Pittsburgh uh, at last check, is the oldest squad in the league based on average age uh, of the NHL clubs. Uh, even in their advanced age, uh, they still look like they can hang with the best of them, and those, these early results are indicative uh, of the success on the ice. They're, they're getting the offense. They're limiting goals on defense. So uh, it, it's more or less a wait-and-see kind of game we play as we get into November and December, and we'll see where this team really is uh, around the holiday season when uh, the, the games start to come fast and furious and, and we'll start to get a better idea of, of the hierarchy of where the NHL teams sit in terms of the standings. 
Let's talk about one last thing that I didn't even put in the outline, Robbie. We don't have a mailbag this week, so we'll close this week's Pensabrook podcast with a, a, a little bit of a question, or not a question, but a little bit of a think tank, I guess, if you want to call it that. Basically, we're going to give our thoughts on the reverse retro jerseys uh, as we record this on October 20th, earlier in the day. Uh, the Penguins and the rest of the NHL unveiled their uh, reverse retro campaign for the 2022-23 season, and much to the delight of many of the online, much of the online community of the Pittsburgh Penguins fandom, it has the return of the Robo Penguin or the Pigeon logo, however you want to describe it. But the, the, the logo the, on the, the Penguins jersey that the, that the Penguins wore uh, throughout the mid to late 90s and into the early 2000s, it has returned and it will be the, the Penguins' third jersey this year uh, for their reverse retro campaign. Robbie, I uh, I was born in '98, so I don't <laughs> want to make you I don't want to make you feel old, Robbie. But you you were uh, you were around to to see a little bit of the of the Robo Penguin as it is so affectionately called. So uh, with the with the announcement of the reverse retros, give your thoughts. I think I think the I think the Robo Penguin looks nice. I know some people were clamoring for that gradient look on, on the uh, like behind the logo itself, but maybe we'll get that in a future reverse retro. But what do, do you like the Robo Penguin? Are you happy to see it back? Is it sort of a nostalgia hit for you? I mean, having grown up with the Robo Penguin being the primary jersey of my youth, I don't. Again, it has a lot of bad connotations for a lot of fans because there's some really dark happenings during the time that they wore this jersey. And I understand that. And I just want to point out, there's also a lot of good memories of the Robo Penguin. You have Darius Kasparaitis over time winner against Buffalo. You have, I mean, Mario's goal earlier in that game to just tie the game. You had Nedved's four overtime winner. Again, that was diagonal. Nah, I can't remember now. Don't quote me on that. Um, you had Marty Straka and Luke Robitaille with like, unlimited overtime goals wearing that thing. Um, so overall, I, I actually do like it. I like it better than the gradient. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I wanted to see Crosby in it at least once in his career uh, because that's the jersey I remember Lemieux in more often than not. Um, so it's going to be really cool to see uh, Crosby in that jersey. I don't, it obviously has no desire uh, for me to see it ever be a, uh, permanent logo again, but it is what it is. It's a very corporate logo. That was kind of the point of it when uh, when it came out, and I like it in black. I like it. I think I like it better than white. Uh, but I'm gonna be interested to see them to see them on the ice and how they look actually playing a game. Um, it's nice when you can take pictures with good lighting and models and stuff. I'm gonna be very interested to see them uh, on the ice in game action because uh, I really think that they're gonna pop, and I really like. I really do like them. I understand that some people, it brings back some bad memories, but honestly, um, I had, I still somewhere do. It does not fit me anymore, but I have that Robo Penguin in the white and the black gradient somewhere. Uh, so I think I actually even have my dad, I believe has a Lemieux in the black gradient um, jersey. I, I think we got him that for his birthday or Christmas one year. So, I mean, it is a very big part of my childhood and it, you got to take the good and the bad with the memories of that logo. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, Crosby in it. I think this is only a uh, a one-year thing. I do think at some point we will see a gradient-type throwback. 
uh, for the Penguins. Uh, I believe that might come after this year. Uh, we'll see. But overall, I really like it. And just kind of going around the league, uh, there's some there's some good ones this, this time, and there's also some bad ones. Um, I won't lie. And the ones that really stuck out to me was I think the Florida one is phenomenal. I think it is absolutely amazing. And I also really like the Sharks one, going back to the uh, Golden State Seals. When this is back, they came into the NHL with the Penguins in 67. Didn't last very long. And finally, they kind of get there. Um, they were the first California. Well, the Kings came in at the same time. But they were one of the ones that helped usher in hockey to the West Coast. So I'm glad to see them getting their due. Um, and I'm always a sucker for the Colorado State flag. So ups to the Avalanche for kind of going with that look as well. But I think overall, some really good looks, uh, some really nostalgic looks. The more I look at them, the more I'm like, oh, I definitely remember that team wearing that jersey. Or it's a really, yeah, a lot of nostalgic memory jarring going on today when I was looking uh, through these uniforms. But as for the Penguins, uh, it was like the worst kept secret that the Robo Penguin was coming back at some point. Um, and I think that, again, there was always rumors that Lemieux absolutely despised that logo and ever and as long as he was majority owner, it was never going to come back. But now that he's no longer the majority owner, um, they they brought it back for at least this season. And let's not forget, uh, there is going to be likely another jersey coming out for the Penguins uh, for the Winter Classic. Um, I don't believe that uh, they had this one on the on the schedule for uh, the second against Boston, and as the same way, Boston doesn't have. Uh, it on the schedule for um, the the January uh, second game, the Winter Classic outside, and I just checked now. The Penguins don't have that date that day listed, so it'll be very um, very interesting to see what they go for from a throwback throwback perspective as well uh, when that time comes here in the coming weeks. Because believe it or not, we're now approaching two months till that game. So um, overall, I give it a I'll give it an A minus, B plus, A minus in that area. Um, I think it's just, yeah, it's very nostalgic for me. It's what I grew up looking at, and it's going to be cool to see Crosby and Malkin uh, wearing that jersey, which was such a big part of the playing days of the greats of this franchise. Nostalgia sells, baby, and no, no league or no corporate entity is 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 a. Uh... They're not guilty of, of cap, cashing in on all of the nostalgia, even for someone who may be a little bit older like you, Robbie, your generation. That's who they're largely, uh, uh, for the most part, appealing to, is, is for, at least in terms of the robo-penguin, you know, that generation uh, that watched uh, during the, the early to mid-90s. I'm looking through on ESPN right now. Uh, I'm looking through that the blue. You mentioned the Florida Panthers. ESPN ranked them with the number one reverse oh, retro. Oh, it's so nice. It's so it, nice. The, the, I really did not know I, I needed to see uh, a jersey. I, what, what's the best way? It's like a baby blue almost with the palm tree and the hockey stick logo, which was, I think it was their secondary. It was the Panthers secondary, or what, was it on top of their shoulder? It was I, the, the logo was on their shoulders with the old Panther logo. Yes, yeah. It it's that's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I'm I'm seeing some of these like in picture form for the first time as as you were uh, finishing up talking there and what, the, the the coyotes like the burnt orange of the coyotes looks really nice too. Oh wow! Some some of the uh, Montreal's ESPN has Montreal ranked at number three. They're also rocking something of a of a light blue with a dark blue with 
a little bit of a white outline. It's actually a throwback. It's an uh, homage to uh, old Expos jerseys. Uh, okay, Expos, that, the that Expos wore jerseys that were very similar to that. With the they were a light blue, ba- a baby bluish kind of base um, with uh, blue accents, and then obviously the Expos logo. But the Canadians obviously went with the. Um, uh, Canadian C that everybody's used to, but that's the homage is paying respect to uh, the Astros of the, I believe it was the seventies. They wore those jerseys. That that makes, that totally makes sense because I'm reading through again. Yeah. Now ESPN's talking about yeah, the, the history of the X, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. That totally. Um, Cause I'm looking at this light blue. I'm like, I don't remember Montreal ever wearing light blue in their color palette. Uh, but yeah, the, the homage to the X, the Expos that definitely, Definitely makes sense. Overall, yeah, I agree with you, Robbie. Uh, Pitts, I, I like the Robo Penguin. I, I, I'm a sucker for nostalgia myself, even if I didn't grow up really watching these jerseys. I can't get over how nice Florida's looks. I'm not even a Panthers fan, and I, I like if I had some excess uh, excess money to throw around, I, I just might buy one of those reverse retros in addition to the Robo Penguin. But yep. the well, the reverse retro is here. Robbie, you bring up a good point before we close it out about the winter classic look. I've always been a sucker for the the powder blue penguins jerseys going back to the uh, going back to when they came into the league in the late sixties. And you brought up bad connotations and and bad memories. And I know the 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 powder blues have some some bad memories associated with them as well, given Sidney Crosby's concussion history. I wonder, I, I imagine eventually, uh, whether Crosby's still playing or not, that we're probably going to see some some incorporation of the color blue eventually. Uh, I don't know when, but um, I, I'd like to see, whether it be for the Winter Classic or maybe a future reverse retro, bring back a little bit of the blue, maybe maybe incorporate the original Penguin logo, because I know it's a, the one they use now is a little bit differently modified than the one that they used in the, in the late 60s. But... I think that's enough rambling about reverse retros for now. Uh, we'll have more game action to bring everyone here next week. For Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you all right back here this time next week.